0: Episode 3 of the Meditation Freedom Podcast.
1: Where meditation meets daily life. This is the Meditation Freedom Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's interview is with Gail Storey. She has meditated since the 1970s and has also authored three books. The first and second book were The Lord's Motel, which is praised by the New York Times Book Review as a tale of unwise judgments and wise humor. And she also published God's Country Club. But the book that's relevant to this podcast, and in which she talks about her experiences with meditation and mindfulness, as well as perhaps one of the most awesome trails in the United States, on the West Coast anyway, called the Pacific Crest Trail, is a memoir that's called I Promise Not to Suffer, A Fool for Love Hikes the Pacific Crest Trail. And this book won numerous awards and was praised by Shell Strayed, the author of Wild, which is now turned into a major motion picture, as wise, witty, and full of heart. The book I Promise Not to Suffer, A Fool for Love Hikes the Pacific Crest Trail is a hilarious story, but also harrowing, of Gail and her husband Porter's hike of the 2663 mile trail from mexico to canada over the highest mountains of california oregon and washington state and so in their 50s they carried porter's homemade ultralight gear to climb and descend 20 miles a day trudging over the searing mojave desert heat and kicking up steps in icy slopes on the high sierra and get it trying to wade their way through these rapids with snow melt Plenty of adventure in taking on that trail. And she writes later, through the permeable layer between self and nature, they walk deeply into the wilderness of love and the question, who am I? Gail is married to Porter Story, who is a national leader in hospice and palliative medicine. And she talks a little bit about that as well in her book. Her husband at one point asks her, I have a hunger to hike the whole trail. It's been growing in me for years, intensified by the work with people living their dying. But what keeps you going? And she, in response, writes, For once I was at a loss for words. What wanted me out here? Not my body. It was falling apart. Not my thoughts. Alternately confident and doubtful. Certainly not my emotions. Unreliable in their swings from high and low. I wanted to be with Porter, yes. But even more, I felt inseparable now from the vast green and blue and white of the wilderness. I looked out on the lake, shimmering under the moon. I was as sturdy as the tree. I flowed over obstacles like water over rocks. I was as solid as the mountains, as clear as the sky. The wind blew through my heart. I was what knew the wind. What knew the world was here in me, pulsing in the trees, water, rocks, mountains, moon. I want to talk a little bit about her meditation experience as well as her trail experience and the two combined and how it affected her and transformed her relationships. And here is the interview. Thank you so much, Gail, for doing this interview. And, you know, to start out with, I'd like to ask you how you got started meditating. Just what brought you to a path of meditation?
1: Yeah, well, I started um, with transcendental meditation, TM, in the early seventies. My life was extremely chaotic. I came from a chaotic family background, and then after I graduated from college, was living a really kind of wild life on the streets of Chicago—not literally on the streets, but close. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, my life was just. Insane, But then I started to get my act together and started Transcendental Meditation. And I just found that meditating the TM way twice a day was just radically transforming. And that's where I first began to get a sense of meditation as a possibility for, for grounding. For finding that deep grounding and then uh, I practiced TM for years probably 10 years and then my friend Heidi by that time I had moved to Houston and I was in the creative writing program there and eventually the administrative director of that program and my friend Heidi who is a Vipassana Buddhist meditator gave me her sitting bench and said that I was a ripe plum ready to drop into the arms of Buddhism. And I've never forgotten that. And so I started off doing 10-day retreats. I did the Christmas to New Year's retreat for four years in a row at IMS in Barrie, Massachusetts. And then after about four years, and I had a Vipassana mindfulness practice that um, a little bit sporadic, but I never really got too far away from it. And then I did the three-month retreat at Barrie in 1980, the fall of eighty-six. And we can talk more about where I've been since then, but that's how I got started.
0: Yeah, and, and you mentioned it brought you more solidity. Can you maybe expand on that a little bit? What was the thing that that helped you?
1: Well, the the mindfulness practice, especially the the um, the attention to the to whatever was happening in the moment, was very valuable for me, and um, it it also though paradoxically it put me it it, tur- it turned into a lot of upheaval and in on the 3 month retreat in particular what happened was as soon as I had gotten about six weeks into it, into a pretty deep practice, by and after six weeks, then you're you're really after 17 hours a day of alternating walking and sitting meditation, and in total silence except for every few days having a, a 15 minute interview with one of the teachers, uh, I I found that um, I a lot of grief from my early childhood and adolescence. And even young adulthood began to surface, and um, I started to cry and literally could not stop for six weeks. I just woke up crying, went to bed crying.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, yeah
1: it's amazing. And my teacher, uh, the, my, the teachers at that three-month retreat were, of course, the, the huge hugely important, the teachers who brought Vipassana to America, Joseph Goldstein, Jack Cornfield, and Sharon Salzberg. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sharon, I, so I had my interviews with them, but Sharon was very instrumental in changing my practice from just a regular Vipassana mindfulness practice to loving-kindness practice. And that um, loving-kindness toward myself and all beings, and there was a tremendous letting go of... Um, and forgiveness of my parents, of my um, of various people I had been in relationship with. I would say that that was really, a, that was the beginning of a huge change in my life on every level because shortly after I came out of that three-month retreat, within months actually, I married Porter, my husband, after, and I was 40 at that point, and up to then I had had no successful uh relationships with the with men i, I was I, I just there was just tremendous instability there so i feel that it really helped me with um with relationships in every aspect of my life and then my life began to to deepen and evolve in pretty much every way
0: mm-hmm. so so there was something that you were able to let go by going really deep
1: yes yeah And it's not necessarily conscious. I think that's what a lot of the crying was about. One of the things that I've learned about an evolving meditation practice is the mind has nothing to do with it. The mind is pretty much useless. And I have a very active mind as a writer. My mind is constantly going and I'm very involved with people and in the world. So my mind almost never quiet. And so I have learned not to take the path of uh, trying to figure out how things, how my conditioning works. Now, of course, I've had a ton of psychological counseling, a ton of therapy, which I really think was also very useful to me. But it was an entirely different enterprise from meditation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe this is a good time to go into a little bit on your the book that you wrote about I promise not to suffer a fools for love for hikes the Pacific Crest Trail because that's is also like going on a big long retreat and you mentioned your mind and how did you say that you wanted to settle the Cartesian chatter like right. like yeah. silt on the bottom of a uh, bo- bottom of the lake yes uh, did you see it kind of like that, like like a retreat? that This was going to be another way to deepen your your practice, or
1: absolutely, absolutely. What happens when you're hike when you're on a hike a through hike of that magnitude? The Pacific Crest Trail is two thousand six hundred and sixty three miles from the border of Mexico to the border of Canada, and when you're hiking twenty plus miles a day up and over mountains and your, your main concern really is survival. Getting to water, filtering it, find, getting, being able to carry enough water to make it until the next water source, which, which could be, they can be fairly far apart. And um, food and carrying your food, figuring out what you're gonna eat so your food lasts until your next resupply stop, which can be anywhere from five to 10 days. So there is a great deal of physical survival that that goes on and the, then there is also a lot of mental chatter in the while you're walking and so at justice on the three-month retreat I found that things I hadn't thought of for years old tapes bubbled up and, and felt that I really they needed to be dealt with but they could be they could just be part part of the walking and the beauty of being in the wilderness with the trees and the cacti and in the high desert it's one of my favorite teachers, a non-dual awareness teacher, Adyashanti, says, the trees don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and I find that it's such a relief. and it, It's part of my, my, I hike now, and hiking and meditation are, are kind of a, um, a dual a, a practice for me. They go together. And so it's so refreshing to be out there with this non-judgmental presence mm-hmm. of in the wilderness of the plants and the cacti and the animals and the snakes, the birds. It helps you integrate things that are coming up for yourself.
0: Yeah, I had the same experience when I came from the Netherlands, which is an extremely dense, highly populated country as well. And I I went and backpacked in Yosemite. I remember kind of like a revelation almost that, that I didn't feel judged the way I felt Mm-hmm. In in the old country, where you know thou shalt do this, you should do that, you know all the shoulds and all those things that there was none of that in in nature. Yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful uh, experience to go through.
1: It is good for you. I'm so glad you ha- you have you know exactly where I'm coming from.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I remember also you said you couldn't do the uh, Appalachian Trail. And then, But then something must have changed between then and the Pacific Crest Trail because, you know, you also said, well, you know, I don't really care for nature, but at the same time, there was that draw for nature as well as, you know, wanting to support your husband and be part of that. There was something else that clicked then in your mind that made you want to be part of that.
1: Yes. Well, the the first line of my book, I Promise Not to Suffer a Fool for Love Hikes the Pacific Crest Trail, is, I never much cared for nature, or rather thought it okay as long as it stayed outside. Mm -hmm. and and so i i was never i grew up in a cambridge massachusetts housing project so i i never really had much affinity for nature my family never went camping we hardly ever we never even really took a vacation so um I, i was completely unused to nature as a as a place to to go and be and hang out and but Porter, my husband, who's a hospice and palliative care doctor, is a very experienced outdoorsman, long-distance hiker, long-distance bicyclist, and he finds much, a great deal of solace in nature. So he wanted to us to bike from Houston, where we lived at the time, to Camden, Maine, near the northern end of the Appalachian Trail. And we did do that. We, we did bike was took seven weeks of bicycling an average of 50 plus miles a day and so we had such a short turnaround time because probably because of the weather window we needed to start in, in on the Appalachian Trail south hiking south and also our son was with us for just um, a week so we packed up our bike Got put on our backpack, started hiking the Appalachian Trail. Total disaster for me. Porter and our son, Philip were able to keep going. But um, after 30 miles under very adverse conditions, pouring down rain, lots of mud, biting flies, crowded into the Appalachian Trail, um, hot shelters um, with a lot of people, mice running over you all night while you're crammed with. <laughs> eight, you know, in, the, in this hut with eight to ten people you never saw before. Um, so that that was a, so challenging for me that uh, because training for a, a long-distance bike trip and training for a, a through hike are radically different things, mm-hmm. very different muscles, a whole different mindset, really. So after 30 miles, I decided that rather than ruin Porter's hike, I would come off the trail. We had rented out our house in Houston, so I had and uh, so I stayed out there resupplying Porter at various points rent by going by bus train rental car, whatever I could find down to the next trail town and so I eventually came home and really didn't have any plans to hike again, but then when Porter a couple of a few years later came by then we had bicycled on our tandem from Houston to the foot of the Pacific Rest Trail. Uh, Sandy Di- outside San Diego in Campo. and Porter soon after that came to a huge crisis in his career. He was the medical director of the premier hospice in Houston, and there were some he came to a disagreement over patient care um, with the board and he wound up resigning so that was a huge crisis for him. He had been taking care of dying patients at that point for. 20 years mm-hmm. so he since nature was so, so vital to him for renewal and solace he decided he would hike the pacific crest trail uh, for six months and he said i know you'd love it he wanted me to come <laughs> with him and i knew i would so not love it seco i mean i thought this is so not me you know by this time i had become kind of a doctor's wife i love to host dinner parties i I had sorted out a lot of my negative conditioning and living in the wilderness for six months was so far from my idea of fun. But I love Porter so much. I loved him then and I love him now that I decided rather than stay at home and worry in our cozy bed in Houston, I would much rather see if I could learn to hike with him. And uh, that's, that's what we did. That's why we set out on the Pacific Crest Trail. <laughs> on good on Good Friday of two thousand and four,
0: uh-huh. <laughs> during that hike, something sh- must have shifted in you because you went from seeing nature as something outside to something dropping away inside of you. You, know, you talk about your face dropping, your uh, your body dropping away, and and something you know suddenly that that whole relationship as inside and outside it, it just dropped away, right?
1: It dropped away, and oh, uh, uh, and. I didn't really quite understand at the time, and I think one reason that I wrote the book because I had no intention of writing the book while I was out there. But I think one reason I wrote the book was to try to process and integrate what had happened. And what I saw as I put the the book together was all the levels. The first thing that happens is, as I alluded to a bit before, was that the that you physically you're growing stronger. As much of my training had to take place on the trail because Houston's not an ideal place for mm-hmm. climbing mountains. So I found that my physical self was growing stronger at the same time that I was, was developing injuries, aches and pains. So these two things are happening simultaneously. And so I looked at it as kind of a, de- a physical deconstruction of the physical self, and then once your your physical defenses are down, then the emotional self surfaces. is very raw. You feel very vulnerable, and that starts to deconstruct. Then, what I think of, I'm putting this in a very linear way, and it's not linear. It's I think, it, in, in fact, I think it's much more of a spiral down and, and a spiral up, and you know, a continuing spiral. But even that's putting it in a more conceptual way than it's called for. And so then the psychological self, much as on the three-month of vipassana retreat, starts to um, deconstruct and the old tapes are playing. And the wilderness ex- experience is such that it's a great place for all of that. To unfold. And then even my sense of myself as a spiritual being began to deconstruct. So I f- the, the sense of I, the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual I's, uh, I capital I apostrophe, they crumbled. Hmm. At the same time, the, the functional parts that you need are there enough that you you know you're still in touch with everything that you need to to uh, make it through the day. I you know I still don't quite understand what happened except that it, the wilderness is such a, there's such a fierce grace in the wilderness that it it's you're not, you're you're the uh, the creatures are not in your space you're in theirs. Mm-hmm. And just being with them with their total non-judgmental being is, is a, a great place to let all of this happen.
0: Right. And your connection with nature, your, your relationship and identification with it must have changed too.
1: Yeah, well, that was the biggest thing that I, the realization that occurred was that nature is our nature, that nature is, is us. It's the same as our deepest nature. And so I think that, that allowed for the dissolution of a sense of separateness.
0: Yeah, my teacher, he calls that a radical revisioning of relationship.
1: Oh, wow, yeah.
0: And remember, yeah. Joseph Campbell would say, everything becomes a thou instead of an it. You know? Yes, yeah. there's no, uh, There's not that outside inside anymore, that self and other is not so strong anymore.
1: Exactly, and you see this through all the traditions. I think my very first exposure to that um, was Martin Buber's book "I and Thou," mm-hmm. and um, and then that very early in my college life. But I I have found that same resonance in Buddhism, in non dual awareness, and uh, all the way back to TM. Mm-hmm.
0: So after, after you had that experience on the trail and those experiences, how did that change you when you came back into the into the marketplace of the, the, the world with people and, and things? How did that change your relationships and your way of being?
1: Radically changed every aspect of it. Um, in the first place, Porter and I decided that we could no longer live in Houston because we needed to move to a place where – Hiking and biking could be an organic part of our lives. So we had a short list, and Boulder, Colorado, is where we landed. At the same, while I was hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, another big thing was going on in my life in that my mother was dying of, of breast cancer, and um, and I had had a almost estranged relationship with her. But that, but in the course of hiking the trail, my sporadic contact with my mother deepened our love for each other. And as it happened, I was with her when she died. And right after we, we came off the trail, I came off the trail first, and then um, I was with my mother as she died. And then when Porter came off the trail, then we came to Boulder, Colorado. And I almost felt that all of those things together helped us Kind of helped us make a move to Boulder, Colorado, which turns out is exactly the right place for us because of the very, um, the profound spiritual community, the outdoor uh, proximity to the hiking trails, just practically out your back door. Mm. Moving was huge. And then my relationship with Porter, when you're with somebody hiking, when you're with somebody 24-7 for all those months, your relationship, it, it. One of the things I joke about, you know, my my elevator pitch about my book is when people say, what's your book about? I say, well, it's about my husband and me hiking the Pacific Crest Trail and managing to stay married. (laughs) And the women especially get that because that's a challenge. I mean, you're really so you, there's no place to hide when you're with somebody under those conditions. It so mm-hmm. can be very stressful. It's not a peaceful. There are a lot of there's a, there's a lot of stress of survival on the trail, a lot of danger. So that our, my relationship with Porter just deepened in ways I never could have imagined, and now we're. More in love than ever. We've been married for 27 years and wow, it's just, and Porter and I have always been on, um, a spiritual life has always been just a very, very basic ground of our love affair, but now more so.
0: It didn't just make you more intimate with nature, but also more intimate with in your in your personal relationship. With yes,
1: you. no question, and and not just with Porter, but with everybody. And I I find in terms of the the uh, the very specific marketplace in which I find myself now, of being very actively involved in helping my book find its audience, which is a challenge to maintain equanimity to get your book out there. I do it. I I have for the last two years. I've been working ten-hour days on helping my book find its audience, and I've had to. That in itself has been a huge practice, meditative practice, because I have had to learn. This is not about the ego and me. It cannot succeed as an egoic enterprise. It can only succeed if I never lose sight of the gift and. And the the, the promotion—it's it, a—it's a labor of love and generosity, and I would never—I never force it on anybody. But I'm—I'm I'm available. So many people want me to come and speak. I've been on a, an extensive nationwide book tour. The book has won five awards, the National Outdoor Book Award. But I think that it's—I've had to do the work. As it shows, as it comes to me, as it shows up, but I have really tried not to make it an egoic enterprise.
0: And are there certain practices that you do on the day to day, you know, that help ground you?
1: Yes, I do try to meditate every day. I try to do it first. Try to meditate first thing in the morning, and I find that that establishes the tone. That when I make the time to meditate, I have a much better day. Mm -hmm. And um, and. Every, Even though I've practiced many different types of meditation, I have found that each one of them has brought something vital to me at a certain stage that helps me uh, sustain the practice. So, for example, throughout the day, I feel I have a lot of um, mindfulness experiences. And the mindfulness has, I'd say, the last nine years... I've been practicing much more deeply with non-dual awareness. Uh, um, And so I find that that is really, I would say, it's it's global listening. And it's that that, uh, Mukti Adyashanti's wife, and also a a great non-dual awareness teacher, uh, refers to it as global listening. And I feel that I'm... Even more than just being mindful of the breath or um, thoughts or feelings or physical sensations, I am learning to listen globally. And another very important part of my practice is hiking. I hike um, three days a week, and I do a therapeutic yoga practice three days a week. And on on my off day, I clean the house. (laughs) That's all I do.
0: (laughs) Practice. <laughs> yeah, you still have the cleaning. Uh, yeah, itch. yeah.
1: And I'm also a hoop dancer, and, you know, so that in itself, that's that's been um, a, a type of practice, too, that could be very meditative. But um, I, I, my meditative practice is very much... Tied to hiking and a daily meditation practice and therapeutic yoga because I'm now 67 and uh, us, all of us aging boobers and aging athletes, we, we're coming apart at the seams in some ways. <laughs> and I'm finding that is chronic pain i mean that is fascinating how to how to be in the body with this new relationship at first i was just like so upset about it but now and largely because of this therapeutic yoga practice that i found here in boulder it's so that's a whole other is another dimension of the things that um i that that i learned on the pacific crest trail and at the buddhist meditation retreats it's, it all is of a piece it all, uh, yeah it's all come, coming together and I'm I'm not doing it I'm just going with it whatever whatever comes up I'll well, have at me.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: There's even appreciation of growing older.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because especially if you have a meditation practice, I find that growing older, the the pluses far outweigh what we used to think of as the disadvantages. No question. Mm -hmm. I would would not be younger for anything, really. (laughs) (laughs) I love getting older, and I look forward to whatever the challenges are.
0: Yeah, and and how has it changed your husband? Because you mentioned in the book too, you mentioned that he had he saw it as a vision quest. Yes. What insight came out of it for him?
1: Oh, I think his insights were just as powerful as mine. The the hike was everything and more than he imagined it would be. And, and just in the way of how life just takes charge, even though he spent so much of the hike, and I go into this a little bit in the book about how he was so worried about where his next job would come from. and um, But as it turned out, he got an offer to be the executive vice president of the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine, which is what allowed us to move to Boulder. And then, since he's 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 a national leader and well published in hospice and palliative medicine, Porter Story, and so he then he got another job offer. So he for um, Colorado Permanente as a palliative care doctor. So he's been dividing his time for the last 10 years between his academy job and his Colorado Permanente job, and uh, that's been a huge deepening of his own medical practice, and when you're with dying people or people in terrible pain, it's a very rare opportunity, and I think that because of his hike on the Pacific Crest Trail and his own meditation practice, he's been able to really make the most of that.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. In a position like that, I imagine you're confronted with your, your own mortality more so than maybe uh, yes. people who, who don't have to confront death every single day.
1: That is so true. It's, it's really great to keep death over your shoulder. And one thing I have found with the aches and pains of um, getting older is that I never expected. First, once I got past all the complaining and the why me and all of that, it's turned into a gratitude practice. And I, I think Porter has had a similar experience working with dying people, that when you are, when, if I'm hiking and I can't hike as high or as long as I used to because my Lower back pain, you know, because you know I'm losing function in my foot, you know, whatever is happening, I think thank heaven I can walk at all. Isn't it great that I'm still out here? Mm-hmm. And and so I think whatever happens, once you learn that very fundamental lesson, that real really wonderful things like, like gratitude practice is so vital. I mean, it's just so energizing and so calming once you learn that lesson then you can it, it, it's available to you no matter what happens
0: right and it changes your your idea of of a journey to a goal instead of the journey for the journey itself too right
1: right exactly well yeah. put <laughs>
0: well and, and you're planning to at least one more big leg of this uh, trip right okay.
1: Yes, we are. The big exciting thing that's happening now is that uh, Porter, after 30 years of working with dying people, is uh, retiring. So we are going to, he is going to be doing the Continental Divide Trail from the border of Mexico to the border of Canada. And it goes through the states of New Mexico, Colorado, um, Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana. And I am going to be his, what they call, trail angel. So I'm going to be going along with him ahead and behind, and I look at um, my He's going to be mountain biking where there are forest service roads or dirt roads, and he's going to be hiking most of of it otherwise. It's a 3,100-mile trail, very challenging, Mm -hmm. and in places there is no trail. You'll have to rely on orienteering skills and the compass. So he will really appreciate my support of being out there, and the way I see it for myself is it's, it's going to be a peripatetic, a movable meditation retreat, a solo meditation retreat for me. I'm going to move north from on a parallel journey of my own doing practicing meditation and, and just being, really, which I haven't had as much chance to do while I've been so busy over the last couple of years uh, with my book. And uh, and then from time to time, he'll, I'll pick him up resupply him. I will do some hiking myself. I'll hike in to meet him from various trailheads and then uh, drop him off, hike in a ways with him and hike back out and go back to my current meditation
0: spot. That's great. That sounds like a great adventure. Doesn't (laughs) it? Yeah. I'm so appreciative of you uh, talking about your experience and and your book. And I really hope the, the people that will listen to this will read your book and how can they find more about you and and your book? And you've written some other books too. Maybe yes, you can mention I have. It too.
1: My my website yeah. is gailstory dot ycom I have uh, information about my first two books. They were both novels. The Lord's Motel, which is about a woman in love with the wrong man and all the trouble she gets into with him. And my second novel was God's Country Club, which is about even when you're with the right person, all the issues you still have. But uh, so those, you, there are buttons um, to buy from indie bookstores or Amazon. Uh, my third book, I Promise Not to Suffer, A Fool for Love Hikes, the Pacific Press Trail, is also available as an ebook. And my publisher, my wonderful publisher, is Mountaineer's Books, so you you can order directly from them or Amazon or any indie bookstore using the buy buttons on my website at com. I have a blog on my website too and I'll be making writing posts about our progress. Oh both great. On, yeah, my up uh, the Continental Divide Trail porters progress and my own interior journey. Thanks well, for asking.
0: Yeah, and and thanks again. I'll make sure all these links are also on page that I have and I wish you great adventure, you and your husband.
1: Thank you so much, Zico. Wonderful to talk with you. I really appreciate your insightful questions.
0: Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed this interview with Gail's story. You can find a lot more about Gail by either going to the show notes on meditationfreedom.com slash 003 and I'll have links to her website and her Twitter and YouTube and various accounts. So I hope you'll check out her book and there'll be a link on my show notes as well to directly to her book so you can get the book on uh, Amazon. I'll just end with a quote from John Muir who also loved the Sierra Nevada. He said, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. Thank you so much and leave a note on the show notes in the comments. I'll talk to you in the next episode. Thank you.
1: so much for joining us on the Meditation Freedom Podcast, where meditation meets daily life.